so happy that you saved it. And is this literally the last one? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few of these lying about. Yeah. The members, but that's yeah. it. But like I told you, when I those two historic preservation architects that came to my shop, the the shop is it's like this. There's a million things around. There were three of these leaning up against the wall, and they said, "Where did you get those?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing they said. It was amazing. They didn't comment on anything else as soon as they commented on that. That was like, <laughs> where did you get those? Because they saw they were cast iron beams. They knew they were meant to be used horizontally. They knew that it had to be, it was a, a, a weight concern. What an incredible thing. Yeah, not all of them had these stitching yeah. pieces into it. I don't know if that, that has to be. I, Original. I mean, it has I, to be. I don't they never took it down. I don't understand the stitching, except it's, you know, I don't understand the stitching. And, you know, I've had students ask me about it, and, I'm, and I don't know whether this was, it certainly could have been, I mean, look at this plate. You've got a, a nine foot by, nine foot by, uh, by two foot, three eighths inch plate. That. Casting. If that. Yeah. What? Uh, no, it's it's impossible. You try doing no, it. I can't. You know? Can't do it. And the, and so it's certainly possible that they had the that they had the stitching done as part of one of the castings, right? And that and that was there just to keep the the plates From, level. Yeah. You know, even, so they wouldn't move against each other. How do you do a casting like this? I think you do a huge, huge one and shave the edges off. I don't know how else you can do it. It's I don't see be... any shrink on any of them, and I never did. It's got to be cut, right? It yeah. has to be yeah. cut. But look at them. Yeah. Just what? They're immaculate. They really are. Just what remarkable pieces. I remember the first time I saw cast iron diamond plate was at a lighthouse repair depot in Staten Island in St. George. And the building that was, the building had, in, in 1868, it, it had entirely non-combustible construction. The floors were shallow segmental brick arches on, uh, on wrought, what at that time were wrought iron uh, I-beams. Um, and they had, uh, on top of, the, of the, the concrete, they had put wooden sleepers, the, the fill, the mortar fill, they put wooden sleepers and then they had cast iron plates on top of that, but the cast iron plates had a textured diamond surface well, on top, like, well, like steel diamond plate, yeah. except they were entirely made Foot out of cast grid. iron. Yeah, well. And so what you saw is at the edges of the pieces, they were all cracked like this, and that's when I realized it was cast iron. And that was 1868, and I said, how the hell did they do? They weren't as long. They were about three feet or four feet and about two and a half feet wide. And I said, how did they make plates like this? How did they cast plates like that? Yeah. That's an interesting building if you ever can get into it. 1868, That's, which one is it? It's the Center Lighthouse Repair Depot. Uh, uh, they built a wooden one in 1864, and then they realized they couldn't use that anywhere where they were storing Fresnel lenses, because the Fresnel lenses would magnify the light mm -hmm. and, and cause a fire. So they built one that was entirely non-combustible wow. in 1868. What's Fresnel lenses? Sorry. A Fresnel lens is the... A Fresnel lens, sorry. Fresnel, F-E-R-F-R-E-S-N-E-L. Pierre Fresnel. Okay. And that was used in lighthouses okay. to magnify the light. Well, it turns out that if you have a... You're doing... This was a lighthouse repair depot. It turns out that if you have light coming in and hitting from the window, hitting the Fresnel lens and going... 
in one particular area on a wooden floor. Sure. The building is toast, <laughs> literally. So, um, so anyway, uh, that they had to be that had to be non-combustible construction. In this case, it wasn't the absence of combustibility that that was so important. It was the the fact that it had to exist for a hundred years without without rusting and still be strong enough to support how old was the weight of those tiles? What's the weight of the, the tile? The, the original tile assembly was yeah. just over a ton. Everything just packed the, inside the, the yeah. backer panel. Wow. It's massive, isn't it? And yeah. I think when the, the restoration kept it within 100 pounds, I think, it was, yeah. that, that yeah. seems sensible, but yeah. right. still kind of remarkable. And they, And like I said, it had to be do a few things. One was not rust and be and not have to be painted for a hundred years. But the other thing was that it had to not in any way I mean you couldn't put a wire up to this to this to the to the underside of the traverse supports because that would transmit vibration. And that would break the tile. So it had to be independent from the vibration of what was above it and able to put up with leakage through the street above. I mean, this was a response that would only be done in an environment. You would have had so many different types of responses if this was a ceiling, a weird ceiling of a masonry building somewhere in New York City. This was under a roadway, under a roadway. It's just, it, so I was mentioning about the, I wondered whether it might be worth just checking out with Cynthia about whether there are any detailed drawings in those 130. Um, yeah. There's everything else, isn't it? There's drainage and... There was stuff we didn't see, right? Yeah. Because there's sluice gates, there's all kinds of things Whole that you would A load of stuff that's like below ground and out of sight. Infrastructure Massive stuff, infrastructure right. stuff. And yep. you just wondered... That's a great thought. I hadn't even considered it. Yep. But it's, I think, just... How would you like that if some drawings of this yeah. came to light? You wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't protest, would you? No. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's the construction of that thing. And just thinking about that, you know, there's massive engineering, isn't there? And just... There's, just how high to make the beams. Totally. I mean, how high do you make the beams? You want to save yeah. weight. So you don't want to use any more any more cast iron than necessary. Yeah. But why make them four and a half okay. inches high? Why not eight inches high? Well, yeah. you didn't have much space between the underside of the yep. of the of the, the roadway and the ceiling. So you wanted to keep the space as high as possible. So you didn't want to you want, didn't want to waste any weight or space on larger beams than necessary. Yeah. So what's t what's t actually taking the weight when they're in place? These. Yeah. Cast iron beams um, but around the perimeter. Oh, what's happening around the perimeter? There's support. And then there's onto a, that there's a, wrought bar. Bar, a, yeah. a wrought bar around the perimeter. Yeah. And that's and and is that is that onto the columns directly? Yeah. 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 Set on the stone. Okay. On the edge of the stone. And the brick. But it's just something as simple as all of the holes. Great? And then, then and those then dovetails, yeah, and the little brass bolts, yeah, nut and bolt, and you just go, okay, yeah. so that you know this is a unique ceiling. It's a unique tile for that ceiling. It's a unique metalwork structure for that ceiling. Yeah. It's all of those things have been thought through. 
yeah. we've got a ton of tiles for each, you know, or yeah. give or take with the, you know, with the, with each of the panels. That's, it's not good, you know, you're not using adhesive for that. Straight away, it's just immediately saying we need to design something different, and just the, you know, I was saying, I asked Richard on the, on the first exchange, kind of random, kind of left field question, but you know, do, do we have any chance of working out who might have made those brass the little dovetails? Because every time, that's such well, a key yeah. in, in every have you ever, sense. Have you ever had a metallurgic analysis done on those? Uh, I've asked the Met to do it, and yeah. I think it's going to happen. Okay. Um, we have not. I I've mean, actually, I, I, I do believe it's a high zinc. Yeah, I if think so too. It's not a spelter. It might yeah. even be in that range. So. Yeah. I think it's a high zinc brass too. It doesn't have enough detail to warrant making it in bronze. And um, the color was really indicates that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other reason you'd say, okay, what the students saw, they come and they ask me, and of course I've drilled galvanic deterioration into their heads and they say, Piper, you said that you can't use copper and, and steel together. And I said, well, I didn't say that exactly. If you remember in the very beginning, one of the handouts I gave you was the, it was saying that galvanic deterioration depended not just upon the potential difference between the two metals, but also the amount and surface area of each metal that was present. So if you remember I said you could put a copper rivet in an iron hull, boat hull, without the iron boat hull deteriorating. But if you put an iron rivet in a copper boat hull, the iron rivet is gone quickly. And so in this case, you have relatively little brass and quite a bit of, of cast iron. So there's not a lot of electrons that are sinking into that brass from the, from the cast iron. And you don't see much erosion around the holes, which mm -hmm. is where that galv galvanic deterioration would occur. So this piece just, I, I, get, I get excited every time I see it. It's incredibly beautiful. It's just beautiful, isn't it? It's aesthetically beautiful. Yeah. You know, just the, the beams are stunning. They're, they're just incredible. Absolutely. So you, I mean, you were explaining about the, you know, where the, what's doing the work, obviously, on these and yeah. and the holes. Yeah. But you, you know, presumably that's just it's very simple. It's taking a weight down, is it? Yeah. And take takes the weight down. Yeah. You have this is the way you would do it. It's not that different from. Uh, wrought iron beams that were being made in England at the end of the 18th, beginning of the 19th century for structural members. But the difference is, is that here they they didn't have any. They they had to isolate it from the vibration. One other reason they had to isolate it from the vibration, not just the tiles, it's the cast iron as well. Okay. Because if you remember, they built when they built factories with cast iron framing in England at the end of the 18th century they had several spectacular failures where the vibrating the machinery, the vibrations of the machinery basically set up a fatigue motion, a fatigue in the, in the cast iron beams and so they had these dramatic collapses of floors in factories and loss of life right. because cast iron fatigues when it's repeatedly vibrated. Okay. The term fatigue actually was introduced from the French Fatigue, tired, after a, a fairly spectacular um, rail accident that occurred in France in either 1836 or 1839, where they had made the wheels of a rail carriage uh, out of cast iron. 
and the engineer who was evaluating this, the, they they broke, and the and the train and the train crashed, and there was significant loss of life. And the loss of life, and the and the engineer evaluating it said that the cast iron had become tired, fatigued, and fatigue was introduced into the English language. I'm sure, it's a little more complicated than that. Can I ask you, just going back to the origins of the backer plate, so with it, are you, or are, are, can we assume it was Vox working this out? You know, I think Vox probably had some very talented engineers working with him, and so I doubt that he would have uh, involved himself in the, in the design. What he told them was, it can't rust, it can't depend on support by the roadway above. You're not going to be able to paint it for another hundred years until somebody has, takes the tiles down. That's the only time it's going to be able to be painted. And we don't have the money to make it out of brass or bronze. And it, we don't have enough room to make larger brass members to support it. And then I think he had a talented engineer who was working on it. And he also undoubtedly had at that time, the foundry business was burgeoning. I don't know who it was who produced these pieces. Something about Brooklyn, but I, yeah. I, I can't recall uh, it. I can't. Yeah, that's a, that's always Brooklyn. what we've yeah. talked about. Yeah. Um, but then, interestingly, I think Cynthia was talking about a lot of the other structures um, in the park being made off, you know, sort of Canal Street areas, and it was a foundry down there. Yeah, there were canals. Um, there were foundries in, in the in the East, East 30s, yeah. lots of them in okay. Brooklyn, and foundries down in Lower Manhattan. Okay. But that's, uh, yeah, I kind of, I liked, I liked the idea of it being just over the river, because it's, we yeah. were saying before about this kind of, this connection between lots of hyper-local places. Right. So it's kind of, there's a connection between Stoke and Brooklyn in terms of the tiles and the plate. Yeah. And then there's a connection between Brooklyn and New Brunswick. Back of plate and the stone and Stoke in New Brunswick and as well as the Central Park thing. So it's, it's this kind of real nice, it's a, the whole thing's a connection. And it sort of feels like that's very definitely part of the, the potential for reconnection as well in West. Yeah. So is anybody? So I doubt that. I doubt that. We don't really. Well, in the same way that yeah. for the Bow Bridge, he he had someone who was. I'm quite certain that when he said the foundry, I want plates that are two feet wide, and uh, and um, nine feet long, and less than three eighths of an inch thick, because I have to support them with these beams. The foundry. The guy at the foundry said. Oh, uh, yeah, oh well. Okay, uh, I hear you. Yeah, 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 okay. And then he turns to his guy and he says, can you do that? And the guy says, shit, all right, okay, I'll do my best. And I think, like Matt, that those plates, the beams are, would not be, I mean, then in and of themselves, they're not easy to cast. Mm. But the plates, I think, that was the daunting task. Yeah. And probably they cast them oversized. There was a little bit of loss of metal yep. at the outside. They had risers all the way around yep. the period. Fence the gates, yeah, all fence, of, everywhere, yeah. right? Yep. And then they cut them, they trimmed them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you don't see any evidence of that either. So right. all, all of the, 
the feeds do not exist on these castings, so right. they were cut back from it. Okay. Yeah. So just just explain that a little bit for me and for people if they kind of listen to to this as well about uh, just about that process. So so it's still still using a, is it a sand base with mm -hmm. yeah with sand with edges? Yep. Yeah, I would say very large skeins of probably French sand molds with, as, P, as Piper has suggested, like fence gates all the way around, an oversized cast because you probably want to work in the fact that you're going to get defects and cold shots around the edges. Now, I've looked at this before, and you and I haven't discussed this, but I thought that there were remnants of the feeds here, there, yep. And over there at the end. Yep, I see it. All right? Yep. And if you put your finger on it, I put my finger on this one it's before you broken, see it's rough, it was broken yep. off. Yep. Okay? Mm -hmm. So there were, there's, that's at least three feeds yep. here. There's another, they're all in about the same place. Here's another feed that was broken off. And then you can see one there, right there in the middle. Yep, I and never one saw on the other before. End. All right? Yep. And we haven't talked about it, but I saw those, those, those have got to be the feeds. Risers, maybe. The risers yep. were around, I think they were feeds because they're a little bit bigger. They're really small. Well, you know better than I would. No, it could be. I mean... Anyway, I thought those were feeds, and then they would have had risers around the perimeter so to allow to foster the movement of the metal. You're right. Those are, those are definitely part of the cast. So, am I, just as a total layman, the feed is where the the, ca the molten cast iron literally is, is, is going in, being poured. In, is being poured okay. in, and they'll be in that in so that green sand mold. Okay. There's a the, the mold would be would, would be out laid out like this, and then there would be essentially a little a little sand funnel above that they pour the metal into that funnel, and they keep pouring the metal until all of a sudden it didn't run in anymore and stayed at the top and hardened there. In my expectation, you're the expert, that my expectation was that those were the feeds and that they had a series of risers all around the perimeter to encourage the, yeah. the metal to migrate out to the outside areas. Yeah, having not seen that, that's much more likely. So if I may, the risers, so... And the risers where edges? the air escapes. Oh, okay, sorry. Okay. Yep. And they and actually... this is not a... They push the metal to the, the terminus of the, the molding, yeah. right? They yeah. allow it to flow out there rather than sort of chill yeah. at the edge and trap air. Okay. And there could have been feeds around the perimeter as well, you know, that were trimmed off. But those, but they would want some in the center, and those were, to me, those were the most obvious ones. And if you look at the placement of these feeds here, that means that this is one one plate here and that's a seam underneath that beam right yeah and generally right yep yeah this was different than the others as far as how they assembled it, it was, yeah the others some of them were much more sort of uniform with the yeah. what you're describing there with that yeah. thing being an entire cast yeah so maybe they were salvaging pieces of this and Pieces yeah. that they didn't the have. The lengths yeah. were good, but maybe the, the <laughs> widths weren't. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a. I'm assuming the 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 beams are in the same exactly the same position on all of the panels that you found. So that's precise. Is that precise? He would know. Give or take. 
Were they I'd in the? Guessing at this yeah. point, it's been years. I'm yeah, not, I, I'm not sure. But I'm interested in the placing of them. They, you know, they're presumably there's. Well, you can that's see the strength, the, the, isn't it? The, yeah, the distance is not regular here, is it? In, no. Uh, in re respect to the. Well, you've got the big sections, haven't you? You've got the three. Yeah. Right. Do you have a two. tape on you? I don't. Let me check. You got a tape, handy Jack. Even a curse, nice. Just, just aesthetically, they're just, just they're incredible. It's just the most incredible thing. It's just the most incredible thing. This needs to be looked after, doesn't it? And deserves to be looked after, probably. It is. It's, I've been trying. Yeah. Okay, so. Like 23 what I, on center there. What do you, what do you want to know? What, this, this plate from center to center yeah. here should be the same as this from center to center here. It's 24. So the plate size was 24, one, two, three, and then they used fillers at the end. Yep. That's, that they cut. that's cool. It's hard enough to get the the the, the lengths of these mi minus the widths, so why not cannibalize them and exactly. reuse? Exactly. Yeah. They had the pieces that did, that weren't perfect. That's he really had, neat. He had designed he had designed the and and they didn't need. They didn't need these beams at the ends because they were being supported on the, no, on the piece. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so we were just, just saying again, I know you've, you know, you, obviously it's been a absolutely in what you're trying to do, but it's another thing that comes out of this potentially, isn't it, where you go, this, this is really important. So it's important, it's very important in terms of the story of Bethesda. Yeah. But it's also it's really important piece of engineering within the context, the, more, the wider context that yeah. Richard's been describing and we've talked about. Mm -hmm. and it's it's and, an important piece and of metal. Also, work. at that time, within the context of the craft as well. So when we, when I looked at those photos of the of the box beam at the uh, at, at the bow bridge, and I'm thinking, God, this guy had to figure out. What the what the the angle would be there, and how it would be straight at the end, and how they would join them, and uh, and then you had to have a, a guy who was using wrought iron plate, puddled wrought iron, rolled wrought iron plate in the 1860s, and he had to get guys to heat that up enough that he could rivet it to get heat the rivets up enough to rivet it together. And I'm thinking, the guys are saying, do you know what I had to do today when he got back to his wife? You know what I had to do today? I'm still working on that goddamn box beam. Can't believe that Vox wants it. And he wasn't dealing with Vox, of course, but Vox was simply telling his guys what he needed. And they were saying, oh, God. Yeah, he's right, of course, but man, that ain't gonna be easy to do. <laughs> I really wanna know who poured these plates, though. Yeah. You know, I, I presume it's the, same, it's the same foundry that poured the beams, but I don't know. But I really wanna know who poured the plates because when I saw that, that cast iron diamond plate in the, the lighthouse repair depot, I said, Jesus, who could pour it this thin? Then when I saw these, I was just, you know, flabbergasted. Yep. But I hadn't thought about them trimming the edges, but it, it does seem likely that they simply produced them two by nine 
24 by 9 and they and they had trimmed the edges and, and the ones that were imperfect. Yeah, the ones that are imperfect will save for the ends of the panels. That makes sense. So how would you go around f about finding out who poured it? Yeah. I, your friend Cynthia. Okay, so Cynthia letters, might be... So she has letters. Maybe Marie and yeah. somebody, and yeah. Sa uh, Sarah. Annual uh, reports. I'm just thinking the report, so it's, it was kind of like, that's what led me, of course, to people like right. Miller and Coates, and then, okay, the floor's mentioned in there, even though it blah, 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 so you start to piece it together. There'll be a bill, won't there? Somebody's paid a bill. There'll be a bill somewhere, but it could be a bill. That would be the, the best thing, obviously, but it could be, there could be... Like the way they know that Daniel Badger did the work on the Waterfleet Arsenal and the way he did the work on the Howout uh, building down in Soho is he publicized it afterwards. Right. Hey, I did this, yeah. you know? Yeah. I did these, okay? Why would you go to anyone else? Yeah. And so they may, there may be of course, that's interesting. A, a cast iron publication, that, yeah. a little pamphlet somewhere yeah. that one of the other founders says, we worked on Fox's Bethesda Terrace. We did all the castings for that. Even though they're hidden, they're yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly what Miller and Coates did with the, with the ceiling and the so floor. So somebody's going to... It's in the front of the, yeah. the catalogue. At some come point, someone's going to yeah. come up with it, give me a call or give you a call, and they'll yeah. say, hey, Piper, you know what I just found? It was like I got a, a student who found a letter from um, uh, an engineer, Bogart, who talked, who talked about all of the different varieties of East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, brownstone that were available for work at Trinity Church yeah. in the monument in 1883. And it was just like this wonderful description of all of the stones. And it was a letter that was written. And someone just found it, a student found it. Neither Norman nor I knew that it existed. <laughs> so yeah, that will need help. And then, yeah. But that, that might, if you could find that, then, then, you know, even if the drawings aren't down with Cynthia, then you never know, there might be some sort of company archive somewhere yeah. that you start to kind of connect it in with. At least the background, you've, you'll find out where it was, or highly likely where it was poured, transported from, was it Brooklyn? Do you see anything about these, about the surfaces of these castings that tells you that it couldn't have been a green sand mold? What I know from the period, that's what it would have been. Yeah. I mean, what else was there? French sand, but that's just green sand burnt up, isn't it? Hey, buddy. Hi. <laughs> There's another one of your little invasives right there. Hi. Little house sparrow. Do I have something for you? Jack feeds them. Hey, Jack. Yes. Jack, what do you got to feed the birds? You got some seed? This little guy. Yeah. Every <laughs> day. What do you give him? Bread? Bread. Cigarettes? Cigarettes, <laughs> rice. Rice, that's it.